My name is Emily Hamilton. I'm the pastor of missions here at CPC, and so glad to see you all this morning. Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series that we are calling Irresistible Faith, and we're following along with a book with the same name by a guy named Scott Sauls. You can pick it up actually in Pathway if you want to follow along with us this summer. And in that book and throughout our sermon series, we are exploring what it means together to embody a faith in Jesus that is contagious and beautiful, something that God uses to draw other people to himself. And last week, Pastor Ron helped us see that the right place to start with that is by acknowledging our own need for Jesus and that if we want to share God's love with others, we need to find ourselves on the receiving end of that love. And this week, we are continuing to follow through Saul's book. And this week, we're looking at what it means to take seriously that Scripture plays a role, a crucial role, in forming us to be a community that has a life-giving and contagious presence in the world around us. Because if we want to be people of irresistible faith, then God, through his word, must become irresistible to us. Now, if we're honest, I bet most of us on a day-to-day basis would not say that we find ourselves in this place where we just find that the Bible is just irresistible. When I hear the word irresistible, I think of two things, Um, a huge piece of chocolate cake and maybe a frozen beverage with some chips and salsa on the beach after a hot day. And while we might have moments of it, that kind of irresistible desire and delight is just not often what we associate with the Bible. In fact, it's often the way that Christians use the Bible that make us people that others find quite easy to resist. When I was in Columbia a few weeks ago with the CPC team down visiting our mission partner, uh, Opportunity International, we were surprisingly joined by a young man who was volunteering with them for the summer, helping them with some of their finance programs. And after being with us on the bus that first day for a couple hours, he came to me and he said, so you guys are like a religious group, right? And I said, yeah, you know, we're from a church and I'm a pastor and we take our faith Seriously, it's why we're here. And he said, well, I'm actually an atheist, and I'm just wondering, like, is that okay? Can I talk about that with you all? Can I be open about that? Do you not want me to? And I said, oh my gosh, no, like, please feel free. Like, you can be open with us about where you are. We'd love to talk with you, get to know you better. We won't call down fire on you, I promise. Like, please, like, just, we're so glad that you're with us. We'll learn a lot together. And the next day we were talking a little bit more and he was sharing more about why he doesn't believe in God. And he said, well, to be honest, a lot of the stuff in the Bible, I just can't believe. I just can't get behind that. But there is some stuff in the Bible I like, like the stuff about caring for the poor and the vulnerable. It just seems like a lot of the Christians I know don't take that part very seriously. And I really appreciated his honesty with me because what he was pointing out, whether he realized it or not, is that the way that we as Jesus followers interact with Scripture has an impact on the kind of witness that we have in the world. You see, some of us know a lot about the Bible, uh, but we can be dogmatic and legalistic about certain parts of it while just easily skipping over some of the other parts that are more challenging or troubling or just weird. 
Some of us find scripture kind of boring, like why should I spend my time on this? It's not really relevant for me. And some of us read scripture like it's a self-help manual, something to make us just nicer people rather than something that would lead us toward a countercultural and sacrificial way of living. Add to that that we live in an era where our attention spans are a most prized commodity with advertisers and pop-up screens and shiny little colorful devices all competing for our attention all the time. Our technological and consumer culture means that there are very few spaces in our lives that require the kind of deep attention that it takes to read scripture well. All that to say, all of us, no matter where you find yourself among those categories, we probably all have some room to grow when it comes to our relationship with scripture. And Psalm 19, is one of those places in the Bible where we get a glimpse of what it might look like to find scripture something that is powerful and transformative, irresistible and life-giving, something that would empower an irresistible witness for us in the world. Psalm 19 was a worship song written by King David and its praise doesn't necessarily describe reality as we currently experience it, but it describes a reality that we are invited to live toward, to live into. And so you can either follow along with me on the screen or you can grab a Bible from the pew rack in front of you if you wanna follow along. We're gonna be in Psalm 19, starting in the seventh verse. Psalm 19, starting in the seventh verse. The Lord's instruction is perfect, reviving one's very being. The Lord's laws are faithful, making naive people wise. The Lord's regulations are right, gladdening the heart. The Lord's commands are pure, giving light to the eyes. Honoring the Lord is correct, lasting forever. The Lord's judgments are true, all of these are righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than tons of pure gold, and they are sweeter than honey, even dripping off the honeycomb. No doubt about it, your servant is enlightened by them. There is great reward in keeping them. And then skipping to verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what is the reality that this psalm is inviting us to consider about what God's word is and what it does for us. Well, first of all, at the very beginning, David writes, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. And that word instruction could also be translated as teaching. And the Hebrew word there is Torah, which refers to the first five books of the Bible. And in the first five books of the Bible, yeah, we get a lot of instructions and laws and commands, but we also get a lot more than that. All of those laws come to us in the context of a story, a story about who God is, about how he has created and called and started this great rescue operation for a people that he wants to know him and love him and make him known. The instruction of the Lord is actually the story of who God is and how he's acting in the world. 
And the story that we have now in our Bibles is, of course, a lot more than just those five books. Over time, other writings were added to that, and the Bible that the earliest followers of Jesus had and read and studied is what we now call the Old Testament. And as those first followers of Jesus read the Old Testament, they saw that the story that they were a part of with Jesus was actually the same story of the God of Israel that they had worshiped and known and studied about all along. In fact, they realized that Jesus is the pinnacle of that story, the missing piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And so the writings of the early church that taught this, what we call the New Testament, were added to what we all now receive today as Holy Scripture. And the important thing for you to remember from all of it is that even though the Bible is a book of many authors and voices over time, it is also a book through which the church has recognized the one voice and the one story of God through them all. This is the instruction of the Lord for us. So the question is then, what does this story tell us about who God is and who we are, and what difference does that make? Well, the Psalm 19 would lead us to believe that this story is something very powerful, something that does something, that this word of God, it revives our being, it makes us wise, gladdens our hearts, gives light to our eyes, which I can see a lot of right now, and lasts forever. God, by the power of his word, acts. He makes things happen. He creates where previously nothing existed before, and we are on the receiving end of that action. To read scripture as if it has the power to act upon you is very different than the way that we might read a history textbook or an instruction manual but that's often still the attitude that we bring to the Bible, like it's something to be skimmed for the basics or something that we use. So often we treat scripture as if it is on the receiving end of our action. We read it, we apply it, we study it, we use it, and that's not bad, but do you see the flip that the psalm is inviting us to consider? to consider that maybe actually it's God through his word that wants to be the one acting upon us. That maybe this text is meant to read us. Karl Barth was a Swiss theologian who was active during the first part of the 20th century, and he based his entire work on the idea that Scripture is not something that God wants us to do stuff with, but that through Scripture, God is wanting to do stuff with us. And he described reading the Bible like entering a strange new world, a foreign country, a place where everything that you think you know is thrown up in the air, a place where rather than maintaining control and projecting yourself into everything you find, you will do far better to slow down, pay attention, and become someone who receives. For any of you who have spent much time in a place where you 
don't speak the local language and the culture's really different and it takes you way longer to order a cup of coffee than you ever thought it would. Not that that happened recently to me. But you know how it feels to be in a place where so much of what you think you know is kind of useless. And where for your own well-being, you have to take the position of a learner. You have to ask strangers for help. You have to use arm motions and lots of facial expressions in order to communicate what it is that you need. It's discombobulating, it can feel vulnerable, but you have to become like a sponge ready to receive. And when you approach scripture like that, what is it that you receive. Bart says that it is not the right human thoughts about God which form the content of the Bible, but the right divine thoughts about humans. The Bible tells us not how we should talk with God, but what he says to us. Not how we find the way to him, but how he has sought and found the way to us. Which is another way of saying that what we find in scripture is the gospel. And the gospel has nothing to do with what you can do for yourself to make yourself a better person. And it has everything to do with the power of God to act for you and to rescue you. And you are on the receiving end. This is exactly what Psalm 19 says, that God, working through his word, does things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. David says that the power of this word is like light for our eyes, meaning that you cannot see without scripture. Instead, you'll be like someone who's living in a house with the lights turned off all the time. But light, light wakes you up in the morning. Light keeps you safe when you cross the street. Light helps you see the faces of people who love you. Light helps you grasp reality. And David says that without this word, you can't actually do that. Without scripture, you cannot grasp reality. David goes on, the power of God's word is like food that revives our very being. And food, of course, is necessary for survival every day on repeat. I have a new nephew who just turned one month old, and let me tell you, his parents know that he needs food every day, multiple times a day, on repeat. We do not outgrow our need for nourishment. We can't live without it. The psalm actually says that God's word is like honey, sweeter than honey dripping from the comb. Now, we tend to think of honey as something that comes in that cute, plastic, squeezable teddy bear off the grocery store shelf, uh, something that we just drizzle on top of our yogurt or fruit or whatever. But for a lot of ancient cultures, honey wasn't just a special sweetener. Honey was an essential food for survival. Before kale salads and smoothie bowls, and I know you're gonna all have to go have lunch after this, but before all of those things, honey was the ancient form of a superfood. It's one of the most calorically dense foods that you can find in nature. And a lot of ancient hunter-gatherer societies, people would eat honey off the comb as a way to boost their caloric intake and meet their nutritional needs. Honey kept people from starving. 
And today, the Hadza people are uh, a people group living in Tanzania in East Africa, and a lot of them are still living as hunter-gatherers. And anthropologists and environmentalists have gone and studied about the way that they live and interact with their environment. And what they have found is that over the course of a year, in Hadza communities, nearly 15 to 20 percent of their caloric intake comes from honey. That's a lot of honey means that without honey, they would be malnourished. They wouldn't have enough to eat. For the Hadza, honey isn't just a sweet treat food. It's like a staple food, a survival food. And friends, the story of God that we find in the Bible is meant to be for us our survival food something that revives our very being. What God is speaking to us in the pages of his word is so important that you cannot live without it. You can't see without it. You can't have joy without it. But God acts in power through his word, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This is actually what it means whenever at the end of the psalm, David calls God his redeemer. According to Israel's law, a redeemer was someone's next of kin whose job it was to take care of other members of the family were they to face a dire situation. And so the redeemer was someone, if someone in the family was about to lose land, it was the redeemer's job to make sure that the land stayed in the family. Or if someone in the family had a lot of debts that they couldn't pay and they were about to have to force themselves into slavery in order to pay their debts back, it was the redeemer's job to pay back the debt and rescue the person from slavery and buy them back. The redeemer is someone that has power and resources to do for another what they cannot do for themselves. And this is how the psalm describes God. That this is how the whole story of scripture describes what God has done for us in Jesus, that Jesus Christ is our redeemer, our next of kin who shares our flesh and comes rescuing us from the hunger and darkness of our sin that we could never find our way out of on our own. And the good news is that no matter how much we struggle with scripture in our day-to-day lives now, that our Redeemer lives and acts on our side of the page too. The Holy Spirit isn't just speaking to you from the page, but the Holy Spirit is the one acting in you and through you to make it possible for you to taste that this is actually something that tastes good, that it's something that you want, that it's something that you can live This book that we have, it's not just a self-help book filled with good examples so that you can become a nicer person. It's not a rule book that teaches you what's allowed and what's not. This is the story of our Redeemer, a story of a God who knows that we are dead without him and has come to make us alive. And when we know that, we will see that this word is meant to come off the page and into our lives, metabolized like food into our very being. So how do we do that? 
How do we possibly begin to do that? I have three quick thoughts for you on what it might look like for us to receive Scripture as a story of God that has power to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. First, I would encourage you, read Scripture widely and deeply. Read widely because you need all of Scripture in order to understand the parts of it. It's a book of many books, but they all come together to tell an important part of the whole story. And also, read deeply. One of my seminary professors said that whenever you are reading Scripture, you need to be like someone who's foraging for mushrooms. Mushrooms like to hide and camouflage, and you have to scan and keep scanning and keep looking in the same place over and over again in order to find them. And so when you read Scripture, be like that. Linger and go slowly. The place where you might think that there is just nothing relevant for you might be the very place where God is speaking to you and wants to surprise you. And second, read Scripture widely and deeply with others. Reading Scripture well isn't really something that you can just do by yourself. It is done best in the messiness of a community that's trying to live it out together. The psalm that we've just read, it would have been sung by a congregation of people. Or the letters of Paul, they would have been read out loud to a whole group gathering for worship like this. And that's a really different experience than when we just open them in a book with our headphones on at the kitchen table. So read scripture widely and deeply and do it with others. And third, let scripture read you. Allow your preconceived notions of what you think that you're going to find there to be challenged. Read with the readiness to be acted upon by God. Read in submission to the Spirit of God searching you and challenging you, enlightening your eyes and gladdening your heart. And know that your Redeemer is near, ready to help you understand, to help you live it out, and to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And more than just instructions, what I would really like to leave you with is a story. It's a story that a friend shared recently with me about what happens when God's word becomes irresistible to us. And it's a story of a young man in Iran a place where to convert from Islam to Christianity is something that can send you to jail or worse. Uh, and, but it's surprisingly a place where Christianity is growing like crazy. And this young man is like many young people in Iran. He's living under the difficulty of the impact of economic sanctions. It's a culture of depression. Drug use is on the rise. And he confided in a friend he said, you know what, I'm, just, I'm thinking about just ending my life. I'm contemplating suicide. And the friend said, please don't do that. Meet me on this street corner at 8 o'clock tonight, and I'll be there. I have something I want to give you. And so the man went to the street corner at 8 o'clock that night, and a car drove up, and his friend didn't get out of the car, just rolled down the window, handed him this really worn and tattered book, and just drove off. And the man took the book home, and what he started to read was the New Testament in Farsi, the Persian language. And he read it for a week, 
And he decided at the end of that week that he wanted to follow the Jesus that he met there. Because something about that story revived his being. And then he gave the book to his sister and he said, you've got to read this. And his sister read the book just in a day. And she decided that she too wanted to become a follower of Jesus. And then the young man and his sister, they gave the book to their parents. And the parents read the book and they decided that they wanted to follow Jesus too. And then the whole family started a gathering with other believers in their home Despite the very real possibility that they could face from their government, the power of God that they encountered in those pages was something so irresistible to them that they weren't afraid. And then, even though this was the only copy of even just a part, not even half of the Bible, they decided that they couldn't keep it. They needed to give it away. And so they gave it to somebody else and said, you take this and read this and come back and talk to us about it. And so they gave it away, that tattered and worn New Testament, they didn't keep it. And they gave it to someone else so that that person's soul could be revived and their eyes enlightened. This is the word of our Redeemer coming off the page, living and active, the story of our God that is sweeter than honey, better than gold and irresistible. As we contemplate together what it might mean to find God's word irresistible for us, I would love to invite you to pray this responsive prayer with me as we close. You can find it in your bulletin or follow along on the screen. Let's pray. Lord, hear our prayer. Because you have called and gathered us to be Christ's church, lead us in our life together holding fast to the assurance that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. Pour your spirit into us to become living examples of your word, welcoming, listening to, loving, confessing to, forgiving, serving, comforting, caring, sharing, praying for, and spurring on the best in one another. Lord, hear our prayer. Build within us an irresistible faith that reflects your light to the culture around us. In the strong name of Jesus we pray, amen.